So what I want to do, I want to read out of the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. I'll start by just simply stating it says this. It's about a man by the name of Simeon. So we saw this little story of Jesus born into Bethlehem. Most of us are familiar with that story. We're also familiar to some degree with the, uh, the metaphor, the picture of light being uh, accompanying this and being a part of this. Um, but the story continues, and immediately shortly after Jesus' birth, we're told that Jesus actually goes with his mom and dad, or they take him actually into the city of Jerusalem. And in the city of Jerusalem, they're met by this guy by the name of Simeon. And uh, Simeon, we don't really know much about him other than just a paragraph or two stating about who he is, but he was just some guy that kind of hung around the temple in Jerusalem for a really long time, and he was some guy that had some sort of hope or promise from God that before he died, he was an old man, before he died, he would end up seeing the salvation of God. So he had this promise from God that before he finally breathed his last breath, he would see this, this miracle of God's work upon this broken, dark planet. So Simeon comes in contact with Jesus and Jesus' mom and dad, and he's absolutely blown away. Something happens, something profound takes place, and God begins to speak to his heart and show him that this, what you're seeing, what you're witnessing here is the salvation of God. And this is the brief little words that he says. And then Simeon speaks up and he says, and he took him in his arms, it's Jesus, so imagine he walks up to Mary and Joseph. They just had this child a couple days earlier. And this stranger all right, takes the baby out of their arms and begins to hold it. So imagine if you're a mom or dad and you have a brand newborn um, and some stranger comes up to you in Trader Joe's and just swipes your child away from you like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You would be freaking out for one. Um, but what ends up happening is he begins to speak forth something really important. This is what he says in verse 29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all people. Then he says in verse 32, a light for the revelation uh, to the Gentiles and for the glory of the people of Israel. So he finishes with this little statement. He says, you've allowed me to see your salvation. It's a light. So he describes Jesus as a light. But he says it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. In other words, all these people that were not Jewish, these people that did not have the hope of God or Yahweh, these people that were without God or without hope, that were lost, or another way to think about those that are without hope or that are lost, is another word that we would use, darkness. They are living in darkness. So he describes that this interaction, this revelation that he has of holding baby Jesus in his arms is that this is the light of God that's come to help those that are without hope in this world, and as well as to be the glory of God's people, Israel. This is probably a passage that he was referring to, and I'll read it real quickly, out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. So the past few weeks, we've been looking at several messages in focus of the time that we would call Advent. Uh, In other words, preparing our hearts to really enter into the season, not just simply be a part of the season or be swept up into the season, but to be intentional about this season. In other words, to allow our hearts and our minds to really engage with the whole meaning and the purpose behind what Christmas is all about. It's not just simply buying stuff. It's not hot chocolate. It's not candy canes. All those things are awesome, and they might be really nice. But the fact of the matter is, is that at the end of the day, Christmas is about not only Jesus, it's about Jesus, but it's about what Jesus has come to do for us to bring light into our darkness. So this is probably a reference to a passage out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 16. I'll read this. 
It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, but the Lord will arise, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the Gentiles will come to his light. So in the Old Testament, there was this hope, this promise, that in the midst of this long storyline we call the Bible, there's a lot of darkness. Uh, If you've ever read the Bible, uh, or read portions of the Bible at least, you know that there's a lot of really messed up things that happen throughout the Bible, throughout the story of the Bible. If you're familiar in any way, shape, or form with life right now in our own lives, and maybe even your own personal life, we're familiar with darkness. And what God had done is he made this promise through this guy who's a prophet by the name of Isaiah, and he reimagined what the future would look like one day when God would break in, when God's kingdom, God's domain, God's power would break into the darkness on this world. And what he does is he imagines this is what it will look like when God comes, when God begins to move, when God begins to invade our brokenness, it will look like light coming into the darkness. And this is the picture that Isaiah prepares for us to think about. There's two things that I think about with regard to light. There's a lot of things I'm sure that we can think about light. But two things in particular come to my mind is that when God's light comes, this promise, next slide, we see that Jesus promises to release us from the power of darkness. So I think of darkness uh, as a power. It's something that's powerful. It's something that influences. So if you think about darkness in this particular context, um, in the New Testament, we see that darkness is actually sort of referenced as, here's a couple of examples of it in Colossians and the book of Acts. I'll just read them to you so you can get a little bit of a flavor of what this is referencing. Colossians 1.13 says this, He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. So darkness, in this context, is likened to a kingdom. All right, think of a, a, a domain that exercises some form of authority or influence over a person. In this context, he's saying all of us as humanity have been influenced by this darkness, the darkness of evil, of wickedness, of uh, immorality, and all these other types of things that you can think about, and just brokenness, that this has influenced us as human beings. And for some of you right now, this is what defines your life. In other words, if you were to look at your life right now, look at the type of relationships you have, look at the type of circumstances that you are facing even in your own life, the way that you would probably describe your life is steeped in or influenced by darkness. And what the hope of the gospel is, is that God promises to come in and to undo that darkness by bringing in something that's greater and stronger and more profound that's light. This is what God promises. So in the book of Acts chapter 26, uh, it says this, that Jesus has come to open the eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are set apart by faith in Jesus. So another way to think about darkness in this context is darkness doesn't just, it's not just simply this influence, this power but it's a power that when it influences us, it leaves us in a place of stain. It leaves us in a place where we're broken. It leaves us in a place where our lives are crushed and ruined and lost. Uh, It leaves us in a place where rather than being home, we are alienated. Rather than in a place where we sense love, we are always afraid of not having love. All right? It's one of the reasons why oftentimes uh, fear goes hand in hand with darkness. And the reasons why there's this pathological reality for many of us, that we are afraid of the dark. 
We don't like it when it's dark. We don't like being alone at home in the dark because we don't know what's out there. But the reality is, uh, there's probably good reason as to the fear of the dark. is because we live in a life, in our world, in our own lives, that are oftentimes defined by brokenness, where we feel this sense of being lost, and oftentimes that leads to the sense of fear. Well, what Jesus does is God makes his promise through Isaiah that whence, when his light comes into this world, it will undo the darkness and this influence of darkness. The second thing I think about uh, the light is that Jesus promises to reveal this path to life. So throughout the Old Testament as well, uh, light is associated with a clear path. It's probably one of the reasons why, uh, among many of Jesus' miracles, one of the most notable types of miracles is Jesus opening the eyes of blind people. So why does he go and open the eyes of blind people? And a lot of scholars, a lot of people believe that it's probably due to the fact that it's, there's some sort of a metaphor as well that we as human beings are blind, meaning we choose the wrong path. So if you think of it this way, if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black, you have a greater propensity of bumping into something, right? Stubbing your toe, crashing, falling down, knocking something over, because we don't see where we're going. And that's obviously indicative of the darkness. And the same thing is true with regard to a spiritual sense as well. We as human beings are in darkness. We are blind. And apart from God doing something for us on our behalf, we just simply continue to choose paths of brokenness. So for some of you, what this may look like in a tangible sense is you, in your own life, are constantly making bad choices. All right? The choices that you keep making, maybe going back into the same broken relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or constantly making choices that lead you to constant brokenness or guilt or doing things that oftentimes lead you down this path of constant hurt, alienation, guilt, shame, brokenness on these cycles. The reason why you do that is because we as human beings don't see the path, the right path in front of us. So we end up choosing the wrong path. And what God promises to do is to not just simply give us a roadmap so that we make better choices in life, but actually to completely turn around our entire world so that rather than walking in a perennial state of darkness, God brings us to light. For example, Psalm 119, a famous verse, says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The idea is that God says, My word, my thoughts, my ideas, my heart, if you follow it, will actually lead you down to a path of light and life. If you choose not to follow it, if you choose to turn away from my words and my precepts and my thoughts and my ideas and my heart, and you choose to walk away from me, then at some point you will find yourself walking further into the darkness, and with darkness comes fear and shame and guilt and brokenness and sin and alienation and all these things that we oftentimes as human beings find ourselves wrestling with. And the hope of the gospel is that we have a God that actually comes into our lives to do something by entering into our darkness. And I want to finish with two amazing quotes. One is a quote by, the, by a lady by the name of Dorothy Sayers. It's kind of lengthy, so just listen to it, and then I'll finish with another quote by C.S. Lewis, which is equally awesome. Dorothy Sayers says this, For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited, suffering, subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. 
Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he played fair. He exacted nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life, we call that Thanksgiving, and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money and the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, despair, and death. You might even add fear of death. When he was a man, he played the man. When he was born in poverty and died in disgrace, and he thought it all worthwhile. Love this. Why? Well, we know the reason why. is because God says, I'm love. I love people that are in direct opposition to me. And that love has value. So much value that God actually throws himself into the human experience. Not just as an advisor, not just as a scholar, not just as somebody who's above human beings, but as one that completely embraces the entirety of the human experience. Think about that. That's powerful. And the last quote I want to read is from C.S. Lewis. It comes from a little writing that he had written called Miracles. And he says this, One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with the splash, vanishing down to the green and warm water, into the black and the cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay. Then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light down below where it, was, where it lay colorless in the dark. He lost his color too. When we think about Christmas, we think about a God that so loved the world that he gave his son to come into this world Like literally this image of a diver going down, plummeting these depths. Why? Because there's something of great value that he wants to recover. This is the image of the gospel. God seeing us, no matter how broken, how rebellious, how oftentimes we've sought to try to emancipate ourselves from God or remove ourselves away from God, God still, for some reason, shockingly thought it worthwhile to rescue us. That's what Christmas is about. It's not just simply about a cute little story of a baby in a manger that has some form of sentimental value. It has significant value because it's the story of a God that loves humanity, no matter how rebellious we've been, to the point where he would plumb the depths of sorrow, pain, horror, terror, and ultimately death to rescue us. This is what Christmas is about. So when we enter into considering Christmas this week, don't just think of the sentimental picture in a manger. Think of a God that literally plumbed into the depths of our sorrow in order to rescue us. This is what Christmas is about. It's about an invitation coming to this God, trusting him. It's about us being vulnerable before this God that's made himself incredibly vulnerable before us. I've said this before, but the reality is when you think about God becoming man, what's more vulnerable than a baby in a manger, naked, laying in its own urine and having to feed off of a female 
for life. If there's anything wrong with the female, but the fact of the matter is that in that context, God literally found life off of his mother Mary. Shocking. Why? To rescue us. This is all part of God's embrace of humanity to bring it to a place where it could be rescued and saved. That's what Jesus did. He came into this world ultimately to die for us, to take upon himself the fullness of us. So the fact of the matter is, when we talk about the concept of light in darkness, what we have is a picture of a God that comes to rescue us out of our darkness by himself, subjecting himself to the very same darkness. So on the cross, you see one of the very first things that takes place is darkness covers the entire land. This inexplicable darkness. What's that speaking of? It's speaking of the fact that God literally comes into this world, into the darkness to rescue us who are in darkness so that we who are in darkness can somehow, some way, some place know light. And this is what Jesus invites us into if you're not there or to celebrate if you are there. So we're going to respond in a few moments
Um, so we'll have them hand out the candles right now as I wrap things up. Worship team will come on up um, as I bring things to a close. So as you are grabbing a candle, go ahead and uh, just hold it. Uh, one other thing to be said about the candle is that when it gets lit, um, please keep it stable. Um, otherwise, wax drips all over the place. Um, and if, if it drips, obviously, we've got to clean it up. So uh, it would be helpful if you just held it straight. And then when we're done, we'll all blow it out together. And I'll just say this as well. So just listen up. When we blow it out, you'll have to put your hand in front of it, okay? Why would you put your hand in front of the candle before you blow it out? Anybody? Right. You don't want to blow wax into the hair of the person sitting in front of you. All right? It's not a good Christmas present. So why don't we all stand? So if uh, you have your candle, why don't we all stand? Uh, We'll have some people at the front, and they'll begin to light it, and they'll be passing it back. So why don't we um, turn off the lights right now, quiet our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, focus on Jesus, if you're a little child, and uh, look for a glow stick, should we give one to you soon? Hopefully I have enough candles to pass around. All right, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, you guys can obviously get your candle lit, and then we'll sing, and we'll just look around and, and, and realize um, this example of this idea of light, God's light descending into our dark world, our brokenness, our dark hearts. And uh, it's a gift. I I think about someone is lighting your candle, right? The the imagery of that. Someone someone else from the outside is lighting your candle, is giving you light. Uh, That's, again, another picture of the gospel. Like, God comes to us. We have nothing but darkness. And yet God does something for us, gives us this spark, this light that ends up giving us life. So let me pray, and uh, we'll sing. And we'll just look around and consider the reality of uh, this gift that God's given us of, of light in His Son, Jesus. And again, it's an invitation uh, not only to trust Jesus. If you're here and you're exploring the claims of Christianity, if you're someone that is lost and you feel the tangibility of that lostness, or if you're here and you're a Christian and you already love Jesus, um, to enter into a, a, a moment of celebrating that reality. So let me pray, and then we'll sing. So God, thank you for the gift of Jesus, who you are, what you've done for us. God, we thank you. So right now, God, we want to sing just the simple song of love and of worship to you. God, thank you for the gift that you've given us, something we did not deserve, something that left to ourselves. We really have actually chosen darkness because light sometimes, often, is offensive. And yet, God, you've come into our lives and 
We know that without light, we, we die. Without light, we walk in darkness. Without light, we are lost. So we just pause right now and we say thank you for the gift of your son.